said a moment ago, we are wrapping up a series today. We've been looking at the leading causes of life over the last several weeks. The truth is that we have had way too much talk of death recently, with the coronavirus, with so much going on around us. Even the TCU community this week is mourning the loss of a senior just this last week. We surround him and his family and the entire TCU community in our prayers. To be honest with you, we've talked so much about death that I'm tired of it. And so I want to talk about life. I want to talk about what it means to live fully. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and life to the fullest, the abundant life, more life than they could ever imagine, Jesus said. So we've been talking over the last several weeks about those leading causes of life, connection and meaning and purpose, uh, our actions and how they speak louder than words. We've been talking about blessing. We've been talking about hope. And today I'm going to try and wrap it all up and draw some conclusions and maybe even put a nice bow on it. The text that you're about to hear this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, which is actually a letter to the church in Ephesus attributed to the Apostle Paul, though most scholars believe that it was actually written by a disciple of Paul using his name. And while they're at it, the, uh, most scholars also believe that it wasn't really a letter after all, but probably a homily or a, a sermon of some sort that was written not just to the church in Ephesus but to all the churches in that area at that time. The letter uh, as a whole, it sort of, uh, this homily, it, it, it offers some fairly clear, practical advice. Things that will help us live the life that is basked in the Spirit of God. Grounded in the goodness of Christ that enables us, enables us to live a life worthy of the call that God places on each of our lives. And so I invite you to listen to this word that comes from the introduction to the church in Ephesus. Our scripture today comes from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. Here begins the reading. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is, what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. Here end the reading. The word of God for the people of God. So we started this series by pointing out that in the last year, how the life expectancy of the average American actually declined by a year and a half, mostly in part due to COVID-19. This is the largest drop in the life expectancy since World War II. It went down from 78.7 down to 77.3. And I think when we are at our best, I think all of us live with a sense of urgency, a sense of realization that life is short. And if we've learned anything in the last year and a half, it's that life is getting even shorter. It reminded me of something that I heard someone say one time, I always knew that I'd get old, 
But how fast it happened was a bit of a surprise, though. How many people know exactly what that's talking about? The truth is, none of us know exactly how long we will live. And these leading causes of life that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, the things that we've been focused on, are not things that will necessarily make us live longer, but to help us live more fully in the time that we have. Not intended to to extend our lives, but to help deepen them. We all know the things that we can do to to make us healthier, to make us live longer, right? We can eat right, we can exercise, we can wash our hands, we can floss our teeth, we can make sure that we wear our seatbelt. All of these things, all of these things make sure that we live longer. But none of those things will help us be more alive. The only way that any of us can do that is to allow ourselves to be to be deeply connected, to seek meaning and purpose, to act on the choices that lead to life, to to extend ourselves in this web of blessing, to nurture hope in all that life throws at us. Those are the things that will help us live fuller. Gary Gunderson wrote a book a number of years ago before the pandemic, probably two decades ago, entitled The Leading Causes of Life. It was sort of the idea, the genesis, the nugget for this series that we've been a part of. And in that book, he says this, none of us know how long we will live. The leading causes of life should help us know what to do with our lives so that we live at least as long as we are physically alive. A lot of people don't do that, he said. They stare at death from decades away and let all of their years be defined by the work of resisting its eventual grip. So it holds them long before it claims them. I love that image. These causes of life might or might not help you extend your life, but they should certainly help you deepen it and feel more useful to those that you love. You know, in the same way that those things that make us healthier all work together, in conjunction, in partnership with one another, none of those things that I listed a moment ago, the eating right, the exercising, the washing your hands, all, none of those things in and of themselves will help you live a little bit longer. In fact, what I have discovered in my life is that it doesn't matter how often you work out, you still can't live off of Twinkies and tacos. Trust me, I've tried. It doesn't work. When I was training for marathons and triathlons a number of years ago, my coach reminded me that you cannot out-train a bad diet. But I tried. See, all of those things work together to contribute to a healthier life, to a healthier lifestyle. And in the same way, these leading causes of life, these things that we've mentioned, coherence, connection, agency, blessing, hope, they all work together to create a way of living that makes us more alive. To live the life that we have been entrusted to live. The life that God dreams and desires for us to live. Life to the full, Jesus said. The abundant life. But we also need to keep in mind that that life is rich and complex. It's multifaceted. It's, it's complex. Life is not about or. It's about and. 
Christy Nelson once said. It's both magical and messy. It's heartwarming and heartbreaking. It's a delight and disappointment. It's grace and grief. It's exquisite and excruciating, oftentimes at the same point. And we know that to be true. Glennon Doyle says that life is beautiful and brutal. Life is brutal, she says. And we know that to be true. All of life makes it what it is. Those things work together. They're interconnected with one another. For instance, hope is something that waxes and wanes. There are times when we wake up feeling hopeful and alive and ready to take on the day. And there are days when we wake up and think there's not enough coffee in the world to get me up for this day. But yet... We all know that it's a lot easier to be hopeful, for instance, when we surround ourselves, when we're connected with those people around us, people that support and encourage us. You know, one of the most often misquoted scriptures that's not in the Bible. Did you catch that? The most often misquoted scripture that's not really in the Bible is this. It's this, God will never give us more than you can handle. It's not there, friends. I wish that it were, but it's not. The Bible doesn't say that at all. It's actually a fairly poor interpretation of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, that says God is faithful. We know that to be true. God is faithful and will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, God will also provide the way out that you may be able to endure it. Now, the reason that I point that out is to remind us, to point out that that was said not to an individual, but to a church. God will never give us more than we can handle. We are able to go through to endure life's struggles much more easy together than we can on our own. All of these leading causes of life, they work together to create a way of living that brings a sense of vitality and health and wholeness, to bring a depth to life, and each of them depends on the other. The best way that I can illustrate this is to remind you what has happened in the last 25 years at Yellowstone National Park, the first and the largest of the national parks. Now, back in the 1920s, the entire wolf population in the park was decimated. Wolves were seen as a danger both to lives and to livestock, and so they were hunted and killed and basically went extinct in Yellowstone. And it caused what's known as a trophic cascade, which is an interruption in the top of the food chain that cascades out and impacts everything down below it. For instance, when the wolves were gone, the deer and the elk population, it exploded because they were no longer no longer had a main predator. And the deer and the elk, they're grazers, and so they had full roam of the park, and so they ate all of the grass and the shrubs and the trees, and as they grew in numbers, they essentially overgrazed the park, upsetting the natural balance of the entire ecosystem. As a result of that, mice and rabbits, they couldn't hide in the grass and the shrubs and the trees, and so their predators came, and their numbers went down drastically. Bears, too, great big grizzly bears were impacted because the deer ate all of the berries, and the bears need the berries. That's hard to say. The bears need the berries in order to fatten up before they hibernate. 
And pollinators like bees and hummingbirds, they had less flowers to pollinate. The birds had less trees in which to build their nests. And the elk also had a devastating effect on the rivers. Without a predator, they started hanging out wherever and whenever they wanted, in the places where they want, and most often they would hang out near the rivers where things were rich and lush, where there was plenty to eat and plenty to drink. But that caused the riverbanks to erode, and the rivers became muddy, which impacted the fish. And they ate all the trees along the riverbanks, which impacted the beavers and their ability to eat and to build dams, which impacted everything that lives in the rivers, the fish and the reptiles and the otters, all because of the missing wolf. Now, in 1995, scientists came in and reintroduced 41 wolves into Yellowstone Park. And their population began to grow fairly rapidly. Within a few years, there was 100 wolves in the park. And their impact, their effects, surprised even the scientists. Obviously, the population of the deer and the elks went down now that the predator was back. But since only the strongest survive in a situation like that, the herd remained strong and robust because only the strongest survived. And soon the number of bears began to increase. Less elk meant more berries. And without the deer, the aspen and the willow trees along the riverbanks began to regenerate, which brought all of the birds and the bees back and the beavers and the regenerated forest along the riverbanks stabilized the riverbanks, meaning less erosion. And clean water was good for the fish, for the otters, for the reptiles. The trickle down was profound, but it didn't stop there either. In 2005, about 10 years after the reintroduction of the wolves, over 100,000 visitors came to the park that year to see the wolves, which pumped over $30 million into the local economy, creating jobs and livelihoods. And not only that, now that the rivers were cleaner, the drinking water in Billings, Montana, was the cleanest it had ever been. You see, when you think about the impact of reintegration of the wolves, it is staggering, affecting the entire ecosystem and even the physical geography of the rivers. Everything is interconnected and woven together. And this happens in our lives as well, doesn't it? There's an old ancient Chinese proverb that says, watch your thoughts because they become your words. Watch your words because they become your actions. Watch your actions because they become your habits. Watch your habits because they become your character. And watch your character because it becomes your destiny. So church... What is your life about? Is it about living life to the fullest, or are you staring at death from decades away so that your years are defined as resisting death rather than living life? The truth is, is so many people live so afraid of dying that they really never get to living. And that fear has this hold on them, robbing them of living the life to the fullest here, now. Now, this can go the other way, too. In a sermon about 20 years ago that has become somewhat famous, John Piper talked about the difference, talked about the difference between the American dream and the dream that God has for us. 
It was at a church conference called Passions. It was outside of Memphis. He was preaching to about 40,000 people one night in a huge stadium. And it was a cold, rainy, drizzly night, but yet that only added to the effect. He talked about an article that he had just read in Reader's Digest, and the article was entitled, Start Now, Retire Early. And that article talked about a couple, Bob and Penny, maybe you know them, that had a few years earlier retired from their jobs in the Northeast. He was 59, she was 51. And when they retired, they sold their home in the Northeast and they moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, where now, the article says, they cruise their 30-foot boat, they play softball, and they collect shells. He pointed out that in many ways that is the American dream. And that there were people that would spend millions and millions of dollars to get you to buy that dream. But he begged them that night. He begged them. He pleaded them, do not buy it. With all of my heart, with all of my soul, he says, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream of a nice house, a nice car, a nice family, a nice retirement where we can collect shells. He went on to conclude this. As the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of with what you did, don't stand before God and say, here it is, Lord, my shell collection. And then he said in almost a whisper, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. So church, my prayer for you is that your life will be about life. That when the day comes to lay down all that you have, to hand all that you have created over to those that will come after you to tend and to care for it, that they will talk about your life and how you made it possible for them to live life to the fullest. I hope and my prayer for you is that you will see, that they will see that your life was about life, about regenerating life, creating more life around you. You see, this series has been about the leading causes of life, those things that help us to move from death to life, from fear to blessing, from despair to hope. And in this time when there is so much concern and talk about the coronavirus, and people are getting sick and dying. I hope and pray that these life-giving practices that we have talked about, that they go viral. And that they infect our church, in our community, in our city, so that there is more connection, more meaning, more action, more blessing, more hope. I came, Jesus said, that they may have life, abundant life, life to the full, more life than they could ever imagine. My prayer for you is that our lives will be grounded in the goodness of Jesus Christ and that our lives will always be about life.